Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. The sponsor for this whole Labor Day Book Blast week is firstbook.org. Obviously, the pandemic is crippling education for millions of students, especially those in low-income communities. The widening digital divide and extended quote-unquote summer slide due to COVID is devastating. Apparently, 40% lack access to reliable internet and functioning digital devices they can use for online learning, making the need for physical books and resources to prevent further educational backsliding absolutely critical. Firstbook breaks down the barriers to education for children 
living in low-income communities by providing its network of more than 475,000 educators serving children in need with free and affordable new high-quality books, educational resources, and basic needs items through the award-winning First Book Marketplace nonprofit e-commerce site. They need your support to ensure these children have what they need to learn during this critical time. Visit firstbook.org to help. Raven Leilani is the debut author of novel Luster. Her work has been published in Granta, McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, the Yale Review, Conjunctions, The Cut, and New England Review, among other publications. She completed her MFA at NYU. Welcome, Raven. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. So first of all, your book, Luster, has been on like every single list of good books. You must be like over the moon. Every It's gotten so much attention and success and everything. What has this been like for you? It's been really, really surreal. Like truly, I think, you know, when we were originally going to like, when we acquired the book, I think the main concern in the publishing industry at the moment, like a year ago in the before time, you know, was how do you, how do you publish a book doing what is sure to be like a, a very insane election year? And then, you know, we had the year we had and it felt, I mean, it, there's so many things that happened, <laughs> things that happened that almost make it feel inappropriate in a way to, to be talking about my book. But I feel really heartened that people have rallied around books and that people are, are connecting with, with my book. You know, that's, that's really the dream is that you put the book out there and people care about it, you know, and I used to work in publishing. So I've also seen like the other side of it. And so my expectations were very managed, you know, like I I had an idea of how this goes and it's really just surpassed my expectations. It's amazing. So for people people who don't know what Lester is about, can you give a little synopsis about the plot and then what made you, what inspired you to write this book and come up with the story? Sure. So like in in a nutshell, Lester is about a young Black woman who is trying to lay claim to the right to make art, but it's also about her relationship with a man who has an open marriage, but more so the relationship that she develops between or with his wife and, and child. So that's like the, the general plot. But in writing this, I'll say like I, when I start any project, I don't really... I don't really know what it's going to be and what it is or even what I mean by it, you know, (laughs) until I'm like maybe halfway through. And so when I got to the page, the thing that was really animating me was I wanted to depict a a Black woman who is full of yearning and desire and who's seeking connection in a way that feels, you know, that feels human. You know, I wanted to make room for her to stumble, you know, to make mistakes, but also for her to express, you know, that earnest in part. <laughs> but I also, you know, I wanted to write about art, but that was sort of the second half and more just because it's the thing that always finds its way into my work. Art making, but also the role of failure in art making is really important to me because I think that is like, I mean, like 80% of the endeavor. And then I wanted to talk kind of bluntly about that. So do you perceive all different forms of creativity as art, regardless of the medium? Yes, 100%, 100%. I think that no matter what you're making, uh, if you're making it, right, you're, you're making something from nothing, there are these, there are hurdles, you know, that you have to jump in order to be able to realize that, that vision. And it's a, I mean, it's like a, it's kind of a, a hard and occasionally demoralizing state to be in, right, when you have a thing that you want to communicate. And 
you cannot effectively articulate it or create it. I wanted to write about how you potentially move from that that state into one that feels generative, you know? And I think for me, being able to write about it in a way that felt honest, I hoped would feel liberating because I know that while I was writing this, you know, I was I was in my MFA, I was in school and I was working full time. And, and that is generally sort of the framework around how I wrote anything, really anything I've ever written has been in those off hours after my nine to five. And so my journey to even writing this book was really, you know, it was really jagged (laughs) and it wasn't straightforward progress, you know? And so I felt it was important to talk about that, the idea that but sometimes there are hurdles, sometimes there are detours, and then that's okay. So take me back to like the very beginning of you <laughs> to find <laughs> out how we got here. So like, where were you born and when did you start to like writing? Like, when did you know you were a writer? And take me along your, your jagged path that you just sure. referred to. So I, it's funny, like I, I, I've been writing for like technically for a while. You know, I, my, my, the event of my childhood was when, you know, my mom and I would go to like Walden Books and we'd get my one new sketchbook and one new journal. And like, I actually currently have an entire wooden chest of all the journals and I kept, and I, cause I was, I was constantly writing. I was, I grew up seven day Adventist and part of that is keeping the Sabbath. And, you know, my means of rebellion, I think was, was writing like privately, you know, these like little private stories. But I think it really wasn't until pretty recently where I, I really wanted to make a, a real go of it. I was, I was living in DC. I'd been there for like four or five years, kind of just working and paying my student loans and, and kind of just trying to work. And then I, it was like 2016, 2017, and I decided to come back to New York to pursue my MFA. I was really looking for a community of writers. You know, with the MFA, you, you never know. Like, you might not you don't know what that will actually yield ultimately, but I knew I needed an environment where there is a certain seriousness and, and rigor around the work. And you don't, you know, like you can find that in a number of different ways, but that was the moment where I was like, I'm really, really going to try and do this thing. And so it was, it was like, just, it was like four years ago. I was like, I, I feel really serious about this and I have to at least try and, and go after it. But I will say that in the years before that, I was really just doing, like, like I mentioned, I was writing after work and writing short stories and submitting them everywhere, like <laughs> like hundreds of places, hundreds of, I mean, not hundreds of stories, but like, you know, I kept an Excel document with all the projections, you know, from a literary magazines. And I was, so that was the first, those were the first steps I took to try and be serious about it. So it's, it's been, it's honestly been a, a journey and most of the work has been kind of work that is private and so almost like invisible. And so right now I'll say like, it feels like a dream to have a visible thing in the world. So amazing. By the <laughs> way, just little as- tip as an aside, I also kept like a whole cabinet of all my journals from yes. the diary I kept growing up. I have like all different, you know, different formats and, you know, whatever was trendy at that time, the different yes. colors. And anyway, I have like piles and piles. And recently my 13 year old daughter like stumbled upon them. So Keep them locked up until you're ready to have like all the questions of whatever is in there. (laughs) It's so funny you say that because like when I was getting all of that stuff out of storage, like is that my parents' storage? And I was, you know, taking that home with me. My boyfriend was with me and he happened to like pick up one of the journals I was around. I was like, no, (laughs) you can't, you cannot see that. (laughs) 
exactly. I mean, some were pretty chaste. Like, I had my first slow dance today. Like, right. oh, you know, <laughs> green marker, you know. And but then, yeah, even like, <laughs> like all the yearbooks with all the messages in them. I'm like, let's just keep all these. Years. Right. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Anyway, you never know where these things are going to end up. <laughs> so, but but meanwhile, Lester is so. I mean vivid and almost with this like brazen sexuality. I mean, there is like no holds barred. On yeah. thing. And I, in fact, my niece was listening to us and I was like, this is not the podcast for her to be like sitting on. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is, I don't know how this is going to go, but anyway, but <laughs> tell me about like not only writing about all the sort of sexual feelings and experiences and mm-hmm. everything from like, you know, not having the right batteries for the vibrator to like, yes. <laughs> you know, to like, you know, all the fantasies before and getting ready for the, you know, why is he not having sex? Like just so much stuff. Yeah. How do you feel now that's like totally out there? Do you ever feel like, well, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, I will say I, I didn't, I didn't actually anticipate the intensity of the response, you know, <laughs> to, to those scenes in the book. Cause I kind of feel like I just wrote it the only way I could, which was in a way that made room for that, you know, the parts of bodily drama, the parts of sex that are like concrete and, and ugly in a way, you know, it's important, right. To, to talk about not being able to find the right batteries for the vibrator, you know, like this is a character who is, you know, who feels deeply and, and cares deeply and is, is really seeking that out in the world and, and, you know, making mistakes in, in service of that, but like that. It's, it's, it's actually kind of tricky to talk about because there's so much about Edie as a character that's sublimated, you know, like if we weren't privy to her interior, you know, to her candid thoughts, she would be a very different character if we only saw those ex- that external behavior. So it's not that she is always earnest in that she's expressing herself, but she is, her core is earnest in that she is full of yearning and full of desire and and unabashed in the way that she tries to satisfy those carnal, like real human needs. So when writing the sex, you know, that too, it felt like an extension of, of her seeking, you know, like writing when she's not having sex and when she's like dying to like be touched, you know, is it felt like I didn't want to write a character who was actually aloof, you know, like she she makes jokes about about wanting to be that and, and wanting to curate an image that, that looks like that. And that too is like, like you mentioned the fantasy, you know, what it looks like when you, you come up against the fantasy and you have to reconcile it with flesh as she does with Eric, you know, and the role that fantasy has in, in that, like in reinvigorating that, that connection between them and the way it's obliterated when they kind of get to know each other is, is really fun to play with. But I think the realities of body and, and of, you know, however many bodies in a space revealing themselves to each other is is really fun, you know, real estate to play with. And it was important for me to make room for the way it's can be silly and strange and contradictory. And to be really, you know, to be really direct about especially the drama, like inherent of the the female body. You know, there's so much that's always going on that I think we are conditioned to not to talk about and also to to pretty up. And so I, I wanted you to know what was happening for battles, you know, like I wanted, I wanted that sort of that backstage work to be, to be forward. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds, videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, what you just said a minute ago about how the outside from looking at someone on the outside looking at Evie on the outside you wouldn't right. know all the things going on on the inside that's like the main gift of writing right that's yeah, like right. That's finally right. get to pull the curtain back on a person or a character and figure out like what the internal monologue is cuz then you figure out all the things that you can potentially share with somebody right like that's right. so many things that you wouldn't know cuz we don't talk about but maybe everybody's looking for batteries not to right. that's right that's right <laughs> Anyway, just as an example, I'm just saying, I don't know. I think that's, that's like one of the greatest parts about being able to share the interior life. 100%. Like whenever that, the question of like, I don't know if people ask it anymore. So maybe this is like, a, a, you know, I'm resurrecting on the old argument or question, but like the idea of like the death of the novel, right? And the reason why it will never die is because if it, the way you can represent consciousness on the page, like okay. I don't think... I mean, I don't think there is another medium that can be depicted in, in that way. I totally agree. Except perhaps memoir. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, which is, yeah, you know, like the writing as a medium. No, writing as a medium is yeah. like unparalleled access in such a, like, I don't know. Without it, I feel like we would lose so much connection with people. That's right. I think that's what people are searching for every time they open a book, truly. Yes. Connection, yes. no matter what form that may take, even if it's escapist or they want to forget their own life. It's, it's a, I don't know. Now I'm sounding yeah. ridiculous, but I do no, feel like, you know. that isn't ridiculous. I mean, that is why I open a book is because I want to feel absorbed in the reality of, of someone, you know, either like me or, or totally unlike me, you exactly. know, like it's, it's like writing. I think that reading is like, it's an act of discovery and there's nothing more like I, I'm also just, this is my taste where I love feeling like I'm looking at a thing that is authentic in the way that it is not studied right mm-hmm. I love the feeling of being uh, a voyeur <laughs> of looking in on a private moment and I think I think the novel does that so well you're absolutely right yeah because it's not like people are going to sit down and tell you about it right right <laughs> Somehow it's okay to write about it and then we can right. read about it and somehow that's all socially acceptable. <laughs> right. right. So let's just go with it. Right? <laughs> Truly. Like getting on a stage and, and like 
performing this with the content of this book, like truly, I mean, I'm also a severely introverted person. So this is the only way I could have ever written a thing like this is like written it on the page and then released it into the world. (laughs) I was so shy as a kid. And I like, I went a whole summer, like on a summer program, just not even opening my mouth and just like thinking about language so much. how can some people talk when I'm finding it so impossible to even form a sentence? Yes. And just like being yes. such an observer all the time. And yet, as soon as I would like pick up a pencil or whatever, and now yes. it's like, it's like, whoosh. Yes. <laughs> so I feel I, that so hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's almost like people can't know you until you have that release onto the page. That's right. Because it's only a fraction of yourself <laughs> that you present to the world. I mean, to that, I will say that it's funny that I feel I've had some interactions since releasing the book where people like you who know me personally will will say something like, it is so strange interacting with you now that I know that that was inside you. You Totally. You know, but that is my writing. That medium is the best way I know how to express. I mean, this is not like autobiography, but like how to express myself. Like it is the only way I know how to say precisely what I mean. Like in real time, I, I feel like I never do. That's why sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, oh, how can you be so open? Or how do you write all that stuff? Or I could never or whatever. I'm like, yeah. well, the harder part is going through the rest of life without sort of being able to say it out loud. That's right. <laughs> the easiest part is that it can come out this way. I mean, I yes. guess there's always... Yes feel comfortable sharing it. But in terms of, I don't know, I, if I couldn't do that, I don't know how I would even sort through what I was thinking and feeling. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, I digress from your amazing <laughs> a little bit. I also wanted to talk about the way you talk about race in the book because mm-hmm. you did such a beautiful job. And I was sort of disappointed with myself because I always like to find quotes that maybe people don't talk about that much. But when I was reading your book on the Kindle, I was like, oh, this is a great quote. And it's like 81 people have also highlighted <laughs> I was like, oh, for God's sakes. But anyway, I'll read it anyway, because I still thought it was interesting. So this is in the passage where you're comparing yourself to, not you, where yeah, Edie yeah. comparing herself to somebody, another up and coming black woman in her office and saying, talking about sort of the competition and right. that she feels she's about to be passed over. So she says, and also their relationship between each other. You said, and then I miscalculated too much anger shared too soon too much. Can you believe these white people? Too much. I'm not going to say it, but F the police. We both graduated from the school of twice as good for half as much, but I'm sure she still finds this an acceptable price of admission. She still rearranges herself waiting to be chosen. And she will be because it is an art to be black and dogged and inoffensive. She is all these things and she is embarrassed that I am not. Yeah. That was writing those scenes was, I mean, I wanted to be really careful because I, I didn't want to make any sort of grand statements around a correct way to be black. Cause I, you know, I, I wanted to write two professional women, two professional black women who are, who have very different tactics to like pretty much the same means, which is, which is survival. You know, they're both in their own way, trying to survive in an environment that does not allow them any real margin for error. You know, and, and Aria's response to this is to adhere to this impossible standard, to flatten herself, to make herself more palatable. And Edie's response is refusal in a way. And, and that the fact that they cannot find kinship in each other is perhaps, you know, they may both be actually complicit in that, but more to blame is the environment that has pit them against each other. But it was it was interesting to write these two black women who are both hungry, who are both trying to advance, and who can see that in each other. 
you know, who, who in a different, perhaps different context would be able to seek purchase in each other, but are unable to, you know, which I think is real, is, is really real, but also, but also devastating in a way that they are both really, truly in need of a friend and of, kin, in, of kinship, but because of their environment and because of the demands that are, are kind of like voiced upon them in how they might survive in this environment, it makes it almost impossible. So those were like, those were real like sad sections to write, even though like Edie is kind of like within her mind is very much like, is deeply judgmental, right? <laughs> and also envious. But it was, yeah, that was, those were scenes where I, I really just wanted to talk about some of the ways like that, that hunger can manifest and the way, you know, a lot of Black women are meant to rise to the occasion in a way that flattens them. Interesting. There's been so much talk in the news and everywhere right now. It's like so of the moment talking about Black women in publishing or Black people in general in publishing and the shift that's occurring and how it has been and how we hope it will be. What has your in real life experience been, not in your character's life, being in this industry? And do you think that that it's ripe for change? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a real, it's like, there's a real reckoning happening. I mean, just like a few months ago, I feel like a lot of Black people working within this industry were very vocal about not just like the kind of uppercase versions of, of, you know, marginalization that they experience in this industry, but like the very kind of small, demoralizing, almost mundane moments, you know, it really is like, there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done in, in terms of who, what kind of stories we prioritize, who we allow to tell them. And I, I really like, and who we invest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do think that, I mean, at least I hope that that reckoning will kind of usher in a different way of, of going about inclusion. And I feel like those words like inclusion, diversity in practice have become kind of like these, I don't know, I mean, these sexy kind of almost, I, I don't know how to articulate it, you know, these things that actually mean so much and that make us better and make our art better. I think it cannot be a surface level change. Like it has to happen. It has to happen in a real fundamental way before we make any progress. So what is coming next for you, Raven? Are you working on a new book or what's what's the plan? So, I mean, you're right. <laughs> I'm really excited to start working on my second book. I haven't, I'm not really in, in the work of that, but I have like a handful of books still in me. And I would love to, you know, whenever I have a moment, but currently I'm really taken up with the task of, of kind of making this, like ushering this book into the world. I mean, it is in the world, but I'm kind of just, that's, that's mostly what I'm, what I'm doing right now. That's and okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's really, that too is kind of a dream, but that could be my work. But I think at some point when this dies down a bit, I'll be able to get back to work, get back to the page. And enjoy it. Well, I mean, <laughs> soak it all up. It's amazing. <laughs> Last question. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors, two aspiring authors? 100%. I think a, a kind of common concern and question in that I think that I was trying to, you know, mull over and also that I know a lot of writers who are, who are trying to get their work out there are thinking about, which is like, how do I, when can I call myself a writer? And I think you call yourself a writer because you're doing the work, because you're, you're actively working on your craft. And it, it doesn't, 
necessarily mean like it, it is really wonderful to receive like affirmation and validation from like you know an acceptance from a literary journal now and then you know but I, I do think that for me at least those those moments were you know they were kind of rare <laughs> you know there was much more much more of the process was was working was doing that private work and trying to figure out what worked and, and what would stick and I just yeah I feel like the private work is, is meaningful work and as long as you are, you are you're putting in the work, then you are a writer. As long as you're working on that craft, you're a writer. So that, that's what I would say. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Sorry for all my distractions. No. <laughs> with it. I appreciate it. And thanks for sharing everything. I'm going to think of you next time I'm doing a, you know, mental purge on the page. <laughs> <laughs> you're out there doing the same thing wherever you are. And anyway, <laughs> sharing that connection. So. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, have a great day. Bye. Thanks so much to firstbook.org for sponsoring this Labor Day Book Blast. Please consider giving to firstbook.org to help their network of 475,000 educators serving children in need. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.